All right, um, if you guys just want to grab a seat again, I'm just going to um, read the word for today. Um, it's Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens." But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Will you guys go ahead and pray with me for a moment? So, Father, as we consider uh, this word this morning, we just pray that we, you would help us to understand and grasp what you've done for us in your son, Jesus, and that that would be worked out in our lives and in this city. And so we ask you for your help this morning. I ask you for your help to do that now. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Casey and myself, uh, a few weeks back, were around a group of kind of Fitchburg faith leaders. Um, the city council was there. There were other nonprofits that were there. And the whole gathering was about one conversation, about one issue. It was about race. If, if you know you know what's been happening. There's, there's been a ton of things that have been on the cover of newspapers um, that have filled our Twitter feeds, that have perhaps um, filled our news apps from around our nation, not only, um, and, and, and even globally and, and locally as well. And I said this a few weeks back, but um, one of the start things that, there's just the reality of things is that, like when my youngest, Elise, gets to be my age, and I'm really not that old, okay? Um, uh, she'll be a minority in this country. Um, but we don't even have to fast forward that many years. Uh, in fact, um, in the city of Fitchburg alone, just east of here where some of us reside, um, it's actually the most diverse community in Wisconsin. Actually, over a third of that city are minorities. And, you know, the conversation of that meeting and and what you see in your Twitter feeds and ads, I mean, really the bottom line question is, with, 
where all things are headed and where we are is really this question of how do we create unity in the midst of diversity? It's, it's really that question of how do we create unity in the midst of diversity? So about 2,000 years ago, um, as the Roman Empire was expanding across the globe, what, one of the things that happened is it brought various cultures, various divisions, and it brought them together in these, these megacities. It, it really never happened before. All these cultures coming together to reside in these cities, and actually what ended up happening it was unprecedented racial strife. In other words, people just were not getting along. There's a guy named Rodney Stark, and he's written a book called The Rise of Christianity. In this book, he, he notes, he's trying to figure out, he's trying to talk from a historical perspective, how did this small community, if you read the book of Acts, like 120 people at the time after Jesus had risen from the dead, how did this thing like, just blow up so that within three to 400 years, it was the dominant religion in the Roman Empire? Like, what took place? And Rodney Stark makes this simple note that one of the key reasons for this was the multicultural unity of the early church. Um, in other words, when you went into cities where this message of Jesus had taken place and these churches were being planted, they were actually the place where people went and there were people from many different backgrounds and there was no strife. There was great diversity, and yet there was unity. And this section of our text today in the book of Ephesians really deals with this fundamental question of how did that happen? How did, how did such diversity and what would normally create strife, how did it actually become where a group of people could actually look very different and actually love one another, actually get along. And before we get into the text, I want to just back up for a moment because um, the beginning of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes, and he kind of does like a thesis of like, if you want to know what God is up to in this world, like here's my two sentence, like here's what it's about. And uh, we covered it kind of the second week of this series, but it's chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. It'll be up here. It says this, According to his purpose, referring to God, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in essence, you know, it's not like, really clear. What are, you, what are you saying there, Paul? But in essence, it's this. Paul is saying this, that God is in the midst of uniting things, things that were divided, things that were broken, things that were not together. And as last week, we talked about this, where in essence, it was vertical. There's an aspect in which all of us, because of our sin, there's this breakdown between our relationship with God and because of who we are. And that God has come in Jesus through the cross to actually reconcile us take something where there was enmity and strife between us and God and actually bring friendship. But 
check this. That's the part that perhaps many of you are familiar with, but this next part is what this entire text is almost certainly about. And it's the horizontal work of the cross. That God is not just uniting us to Him through Christ, but He's actually uniting people to one another in Christ. It's this horizontal work of the cross. That's what this text is really about. And, you know, we kind of say it a lot um, each week here at Redeemer City. We say it's something like this. You know, we're kind of about three things. Gospel, community, and mission. And this text, you could almost say, is exactly about community. We say it this way every week almost, where we're like, so not only does God bring us into a relationship with himself through Jesus, he actually calls us to be a people. So we get to dive into this text and figure out this really, this horizontal aspect, this work of the cross. And um, let me say this, as, as we get into this text, like, there is a ton of backstory. Like, last night I had some guys over to watch Star Wars Episode Five, and this didn't happen last night, but if one of them would have shown up and said, I really haven't seen anything from Star Wars, could you fill me in? I mean, that would have taken a while, right? I mean, we could have skipped over episode one. That was horrible, right? But we could have, it would have taken a while to explain what is going on in order for you to understand why this is such a great movie, right? I kind of feel like that's this morning. Uh, we're kind of in episode five, and perhaps for a lot of us, we're going, I don't know what the backstory is here. So um, I hope you've got some coffee because we're going to get into this and try to explain kind of what's going on here. So verse 11, in chapter 2, Paul opens up. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Um, I love where Paul starts here. He starts with circumcision. It's great. Let's just start there, Paul. Um, That's a joke, okay? Um, But there is something to be said here because this was a marker. Um, Paul's really dealing with two different groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. Now, in order to understand these two groups, I need to go back a little bit further. Let me say perhaps episode one. Um, at the very beginning of the Bible, in response to sin and all the discord that happens, God doesn't just chuck the whole thing out. He doesn't just say this is worthless. He begins to enact a plan by which he's going to restore everything, rescue all that's been lost because of sin. And so in Genesis 12, he begins this way, with one man, Abram. So in Genesis 12, it'll be up here, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So just just for a moment, just understand this. God says this, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to restore all that's been lost, but it's going to come through this one man and what I'm going to do through him and his descendants. That's where it all begins. And that's from Abram comes the nation of Israel, the Jews. Now, the Gentiles, referred to in Ephesians 2, 
are essentially everybody else who's not a Jew. It's all the other nations. They're the ones that need to be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Now, just let me be a little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, the, the fulfillment of this blessing, as we've seen in Ephesians and other places, it all comes in one, actually, descendant, Jesus. He's the ultimate fulfillment. He's the one through which all the nations can be restored back into a relationship with God, and we'll see today, actually restored back together to one another. Now, um, <laughs> so this division between Jews and Gentiles, I mean, this is, this is a huge division. This is not just like a few years this is well over a millennial and a half. Like, this is a long time. There's much sep separation. And Paul continues in verse 12, and he begins to kind of talk to these Gentiles. He begins to say, do you know how far you were away from God? And, and note what he says here in verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Um, it's interesting, what Paul does there is he, he actually takes their proximity to God in relationship to their proximity to the Jews, to God's people. Um, it's a little bit like this, like um, some of you, maybe this is your, your story, but um, you might have someone who has a best friend, girlfriend's cousin's ex-boyfriend's who's best friends with Taylor Swift's hairstylist. You know, something like that. And you kind of go, oh my word, do you realize I'm like six people away from being best friends with Taylor Swift? <laughs> you know, when really you're really far away. Like you got no shot. I mean, come on. You might be closer than me, but actually I know you. So now I'm seven, right? I'm seven people away from knowing being best friends with Taylor Swift, right? That, that, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, actually, God's at work in the midst of this, this people here, the Jews, and you realize that you were separated from them. You didn't know all that was going on and all that God was doing in the midst of this community. You were actually very far away. And, you know, Paul's not doing this to kind of rub it in their noses. He writes to Gentiles, actually, in this letter, who are different racially, culturally, and guess what they're doing? They're actually sitting in homes with other Jews. And it's because of what happens. He reminds them, he swoops in with verse 13. He, he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were very far off, like further than six or seven people away from God, you were you have been brought near. Um, this is, there's two points today in which Paul addresses kind of this vertical aspect of our relationship to God. This is one of them. He talks about how you were very far away, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I, I want to, just for a moment, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I want you to understand something. This is this is really the central feature. This is what Christianity boils down to. That it's not about us climbing up to God. It's actually about Him doing something to actually bring us near to Him. And um, when you see this phrase, that you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, um, 
and I think it's a good reminder for us who perhaps have been around this for a while, that that says at least two things. It, it tells us at least one thing about ourselves, and that is that this problem between us and God, it's not a small thing. If it takes the blood of his son to bring us back to him, like that's, that's not cheap. That's not a little mistake. That's, in other words, sin is a big deal. It's not a small thing. But on the other flip side, when you imagine that he gave his son, he was willing to do that. Then you see the great love and mercy of God that none of us could have even perhaps even come up with or made up or dreamed up. This goes well beyond what we thought God would ever do for us. And Paul is reminding them, do you, do you understand how you've been brought near? Now, the next section really dials in on this horizontal, horizontal aspect, verses 14 to 18. Let, let me read these, and, and please follow along if you can. It'll maybe be up here on the screen. It says this, for, verse 14, for he himself, speaking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us, and he's re- this is Paul saying, both Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him, speaking of Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, there's a lot going on there. Like, there's like law of commandments and ordinances and all these different things, but I want to comment on three, three things. Um, and the first one and the third one, I'm just going to prepare you. I'm just going to geek out a little bit on grammar. And it's not because grammar is my favorite thing. I'm not really good at it, but it, because it really un- opens up the text. It actually, it tells a lot about Jesus and what he's done. So this first thing is, is really about... Um, this first, I, I would say, geeking out session really comes down to three participles, which in this text have Jesus as the subject. In other words, they're explaining, this is what Jesus is doing, okay? The first participle is in verse, team, in verse 14 where it says, who has made us. Notice that. That's the first thing Jesus does through the cross. He made us both one. The next one is the very next, like two words later, he has broken down. He's broken down. And then verse 15, he is abolishing the law and the commandments. And there's no small, like, there's no small debate about kind of what Paul's referring to, what part of the law, what aspect. But for a sermon this morning, what I think is sufficient is simply this. This great divide between Jews and Gentiles, what is Jesus doing to it? He is doing whatever it takes to bring down that wall. To make them one, he is taking people who are far different than they were. And he's bringing them together and he's making them one. Do you see how Jesus and the work on the cross, it's it's horizontal? 
It's making these two groups who are so divided and he's making them one. That's so important. The second thing I want you to see is that four times in this section, the word peace is used to describe kind of the nature, the fragrance of the relationship that is marked when these two groups become one. It's this word peace. So one example is in verse 16, it says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And you know, when we hear the word peace, it's kind of this like, it's like a vanilla term, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it's kind of like, oh, I've got a little bit of peace of mind or whatever. It's a really small thing, but peace is a robust, rich, deep, awesome word. It, it's almost like if you were to go to Coldstone and you were to get one of their signature creations, you know they throw about 18 things in that thing. Like, it's no small thing. Like, you take a bite of that and you're like, this is so rich. This is so, there's, this is changing things. There's different textures. There's all this stuff. Like, that's the term peace. It's just rich and robust. It's not vanilla, okay? It's not vanilla. But suffice it to say, it's really about wholeness and delight. It's creating relationships in which there's wholeness and delight. In other words, it's moving relationships in which there was perhaps enmity and strife and isolation and even perhaps just apathy. And it's replacing it with relationships where there is unity, where there is mutual affection, and there is service to one another. Um, you know, it was roughly two months ago, um, Uh, that our friend Kyle Morgan was laid to rest. And um, if you were at that funeral, uh, probably 75% of the people that were there were African-American. Um, if you didn't know Kyle, he, he was as well. And um, yeah, it was really phenomenal is that many of the people that walked closely with Kyle over the last year to two years of his life um, were not, didn't look anything like him. And, and oftentimes, the only answer that could be given, that that could happen, honestly, where there was actually a relationship where it was marked by affection and unity and service, do you know what it was? It was because at the center of those relationships, it was Jesus. That is it. That is it. And um, you know, we could probably talk this morning, and and we could go around and. and and we could perhaps commend or we could highlight some of the ways people have served and walked alongside um, Kyle. He even continues to do that with his family that he's left behind. Um, and it would be right to commend those people, but I want you to understand something. That was made possible because of the cross. 
that was made possible, and that is made possible because of Jesus. Relationships that perhaps would have been, that never would have had been, would have never happened. A a, a relationship that might have been just apathetic, perhaps maybe even hostile, whatever it might be. Like, here's the deal, the cross takes those relationships. It creates peace, wholeness, and delight, mutual affection, service. And there's no doubt that that Kyle and that relationship and that friendship, um, that that was most certainly on display. Most certainly. Um, One more thing in this section, and let me just for a moment geek out one more time, and I don't normally do this because, um, but it's helpful. There are two purpose clauses in this section, and it's just telling us this is, like, this is the result of the work of Christ. Like, if you want to understand, this is what Jesus is up to, this is what he's doing, this is why he came, this is what his death does, then you just understand these two purpose clauses and you, you understand it. And, and they'll be up here. It's verse 15 and verse 16. That he, speaking to Jesus, might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Um, Just a couple comments on this. Um, The church is central to the work of Christ. Do you see that in this text? It's pretty phenomenal, actually, because what Paul is doing there, he's saying, hey, if you're a Jew, guess what? It's not the Gentiles coming over and becoming Jews. No, no, no. It's now on you're a new man with the Gentiles. And it's not just you individualistically being reconciled to God. It's you being reconciled in one body to Christ. It's this the church, a multicultural people who are rescued by God and to one another. That is the work of the gospel. That is the work of Christ. That's what it produces. Um, J.D. Greer, uh, he's a pastor, and he talks about this, um, this reality is when you become a Christian, you actually have a, he would say, kind of a third race. He puts it this way, on the one hand, like you have your first race, which is whatever race or ethnicity you were born into, and you have a second race, which is um, kind of everybody else. But the third race is the new person that God has made us in Jesus. And he writes this, when you become a Christian, you don't cease to be your first race, nor do you assimilate into the second race of the people who brought you to Christ. Instead, you become a part of a new race. A third race, those still maintain your first race. You know, I, I'm, still, I'm still white. <laughs> Born and raised in Iowa, pretty much, right? I mean, just this, I mean that's, that's where I'm coming from. Can't change that. 
But in Jesus, there's something different. Um, and, he, and he writes this, that when our third race, when it becomes weightiest, that's when unity happens. Um, in the first century, when, when the Romans came in and they looked at these churches, which were multicultural, and they actually got along, they just, you know, of course, there's asking the question, how did that happen? Like, how can that happen? And um, their response was this, Jesus has died for our sins, and not just our sins, but for the whole world, and guess what? He's now risen, and he is now Lord of this whole world. That's how this is possible. I want you to understand this. If you get, really, on one level, if you get anything out of this text, I want you to more understand the work of Christ. And I want you to understand that its application is simply this, that God is about the church, about reconciling a group of diverse people to himself and to one another. Um, you know, in fact, we could just flip to the very end of uh, the Bible, and we could see a picture where there's people from every race, tribe, people, and nation. And in one sense, you could say, however diverse we are or whatever else, we're just simply a preview of where all things are headed. Just a preview. Now, um, this section closes out, and, um, you know, Matt earlier talked about how we've been talking about identity in this letter, this epistle, and we really ask the question, who am I? But this last section really is best asked this way, who are we? Not who am I, but who are we? In verse 19, it says this, that we are now members of the household of God. In other words, we're family. Um, and we talked, that, uh, we talked about that quite a bit here, and I'm grateful that we do. And you know, there's a few weeks ago in which um, I had... <laughs> I was talking on, the con on, on this issue of family, and I had all of you guys turn and actually look at each other, you know? And some of you didn't. You wouldn't even look, you know? Like, you're like, this is just awkward. I just want to look forward at you. I don't want to, and that's fine. We'll talk afterwards. I know who you are. Um, <laughs> but um, after I did that, you know, you know, the whole point was this, that in the gospel, your family and, and that means that whether you're a single mom, or you're a nine-year-old girl, or you're a 60-year-old dad, or you're newly married without kids, or you're married with kids, or whether you're Democrat or Republican, whether you're Asian, black, white, whether you're upwardly mobile or perhaps plateauing and stuck, whatever that is, I know the opposite of upwardly mobile, whatever that might be, the reality is this, is that in the gospel, Jesus died, and the reality is our identity, whether you, whether you feel it or not, like this is who we are. We're family. And one of the things that's most stark about this passage actually is the very beginning, remember how it all started? The Gentiles were alienated. They were outside. They were strangers. And all of a sudden now, guess what? Can you imagine them reading this? And they're reading this letter, and they're going, they're sitting next to some other Jewish brothers, and they're going, we're, we're family? Are you serious? 
Absolutely. You, you know what that said to them? Guess what? You belong. You belong. No matter your backdrop. You belong. Um, the final image given in this text in 20 through 22 is of the church being a holy temple in the Lord where God's spirit dwells. Um, okay, so that's an easy one, right? I mean, that's, there's so much there, but let me just say it this way. Um, for the Jews at that time, when they thought about the temple, that was the place where, like, that's where you went to meet with God. That is where Yahweh put his special presence. It's not that he wasn't everywhere. So this is where his special presence was. And Paul says this. You don't have to go to a place to meet with God. The temple that God is building is the church. The place where God's spirit dwells, it's this multicultural, diverse community that's reconciled to God and to one another. It's phenomenal. So, so what? Um, so what? Like, what's, what's the point? We've, we've seen a lot of what God's done here and this purpose in Christ, but what does that, what does that actually mean fleshed out in our lives? And there, there's, in fact, Paul will just, I mean, chapters four to six are kind of like the so what, and, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not going to get there until like January, so, um, but let, let me say, suggest three things this morning, and just kind of land the plane this way, and, and I want to think about this way. I want you to think as you look forward, as you look to your side, and then as you look up, how this might inform, how this might change us. Um, is think about looking forward or outward. Um, if God is about drawing people from every tribe, tongue, language, people and race to himself, like it's this diverse community, then, and we live in a community that is growing in its diversity, right? Then on one level, that should mean that we would love our neighbor. And I don't know about you, but like, there's two blocks down from me, and it's a totally different crowd than the, than the two blocks up, okay? And it just means that um, we, we were sitting there, Casey and I were at this, this meeting, and the, the one African-American lady was up there, and she's saying, talking about these divisions and all these sorts of things, and she was making the point that oftentimes, like, kids have no problem playing with kids who look different than them. But then when you get to the adults, then you see something completely different. And she was just making the point, like, just step across the line, and build relationships with people who look different than you. And as I think about kind of outward, it's just a sense of, can we be a community that because of what God's done and because of what he's doing and because of what he's building, it's this diverse multicultural community that we could be a people that would simply love those who look perhaps very different than us. I think so. I think so. Um, Secondly, as we look to the side, and I'm, I'm more thinking here about just those next to you, this, this, this family that God is at work in. And uh, I'm going to take you to a, a meaty quote, because um, it's, it's so rich. Um, 
but so good. Um, it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a, he, was, he was a Lutheran pastor that was martyred in the Second World War. But um, this is what he writes in his, this book called Life Together. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another wholly for eternity. Okay, I've read that quote like eight times, and I still think I get about 5% of it, but the 5% I get, let me just share it with you this way. Um, we all know that in relationships, oftentimes they're built on things we have in common, right? You know, oh, we went to the same school together. Oh, um, you like the same football team, or oh, you don't like the same football team. We can build a relationship on that. That'll be fun. We can, you know, egg each other on, right? Um, but we all know our relationships, they're really built on things we have in common, and what Bonhoeffer is saying is that because Jesus is at the center, that center goes, it transcends all things. It changes who we hang out with. Um, it, and, and not only that, I love how it says at the end there that um, the more clearly <laughs> everything else between us recedes. It's not that we're not going to talk about football. We're not going to talk about other things in life. It just is going to say in our conversations, in our life as a family, that more often than not, like Jesus is just going to be brought up more and more and more. And it might be simply as, hey, how can I pray for you this week? It might be that. It might be like, hey, how's your week been this week? But it just goes deeper than mere surface, right? And then, and I get it, that takes time. But I just want you to know we're growing in that. I'm really encouraged by that. Um, and put it this way, you may have more affinity things and more things you like in common with those you work around. But I tell you what, the person who likes the exact opposite team and doesn't like the outdoors and you love the outdoors, whatever else, you have more in common because of your relationship with Christ than anybody else. That's what's going down here. All right, lastly, upward. And this will be brief. Being the passage, Paul just says twice, remember. Remember, he's, he's saying, remember who you were. In light of that, do you know how far you've come? And what Paul is just doing there, he's just saying this. As you look upward, as you think about your relationship with God, this text, and I hope you've gotten there in the midst of this as we've talked through these things, as we've kind of unpacked what Jesus has done, I hope you've, there's been a stirring in your heart where there is just fresh affections for just how powerful and how great and how awesome Jesus is. That he could not only reconcile us to himself, to, him, to the Father, but actually reconcile us to one another. Let's praise him for that. Let's pray. So, Father, um, we just give you thanks this morning for sending your Son so that we might have a relationship with you. Thank you that that work that your Son has done not only does that in vertically, but it changes us horizontally. And God, would you help us as we continue to live this out in this city, that you give us eyes to see those who are very different from us. You'd, you'd help us to step into perhaps the awkward, step into the I don't get this, and love and serve. And I pray as we look around that you'd continue to help us, especially in our city groups, that you would help us even perhaps the person that we least understand.
that we would know that by reason of their relationship with Jesus, that that would be the marker by which we relate and know and love. And God, we just give you thanks this morning for the work of your Son, for what he has done and what you're doing. And we ask this in your name. Amen.